Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today you'll be hearing part two of the case of Katie Major. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. In part one, we went over the events leading up to Katie's death, the search for her, the quote-unquote radio broadcast that led Aaron to send Vicky to where Katie's truck was found, along with Katie herself and her eight-month-old baby girl, River. Katie's death was attributed to suicide just hours after her autopsy was scheduled, suicide by train, but actually suicide by something hanging off of the train. We went on to discuss Aaron's strange behavior throughout, the conspiracy theories, spinning on the floor, the jarring funeral request, the McDonald's. But if you thought this case couldn't get any more bizarre, that was just the beginning. At the end of last week's episode, I mentioned an interview Aaron was going to have with a detective on Katie's case. In that interview, Aaron wasn't called out on numerous inconsistencies, and sometimes the detective would summarize what they had been talking about to keep Aaron on track. At other points in the interview, the detective would take a gander at his flip phone, seemingly completely disinterested in what Aaron was telling him. And in what seemed like the most ridiculous of all, despite Aaron's hand still being in a cast, he was not asked about the injury. The detective didn't mention a word about it. With that, let's break the entire thing down. At the beginning of the interview, the detective asked Aaron to describe his relationship with Katie. Aaron, who never got emotional during the interview, said they had a good marriage. They were best friends who told each other everything. They didn't really fight much, and when they did argue, it was nothing out of the ordinary. After detailing their relationship, the detective asked Aaron if Katie had been acting paranoid in the months leading up to her death. Aaron said Katie was completely normal until Monday, two days prior to her death. On that day, Katie all of a sudden got real paranoid and quit trusting people and stuff. According to him, Tuesday was a little worse. He said Katie wanted him to go to the obstetrician appointment with her, and when they left, Katie explained why. That she was worried the doctor would think she was crazy and take River away. The detective asked why Katie was paranoid, and Aaron said she'd been reading some stuff online which led her to believe their phones were tapped and she was being monitored online. When asked why she felt this way, Aaron paused for five seconds and said Katie felt like she had discovered something she wasn't supposed to. The detective asked what discovery that was, and Aaron paused for eight seconds and said it was kind of complicated. After another eight-second pause, Aaron said, It was a lot of stuff put together. I'm going to pause the podcast for eight seconds so you can feel just how long that is. Police interview seconds are the cousin to microwave minutes. After another long pause, Aaron said that Katie had read some stuff on a 9-11 Truth website about how the government was involved in blowing up the Twin Towers. Katie thought if the government was willing to kill thousands of people, they wouldn't have a problem killing her. But if he thought she was paranoid for believing that, why was he allegedly the one saying that to Katie's mom when they were out searching for her? 
The detective asked if he thought there was any truth in the statements Katie was making, and Aaron responded, it seems true based on what he saw, but he hadn't had time to dig into it. Aaron said that when he came home on Monday, Katie told him she had researched all day and needed to show him what she'd found because he didn't know anything about any of it. The detective then asked, so she told you this on Monday? Aaron's response is a little confusing. He said, no, on Monday she started researching. On Tuesday, she started getting paranoid. The first time she had been paranoid about people was after the appointment on Tuesday. At the beginning of this interview, he said she was completely normal until Monday. And now he was saying she started getting paranoid on Tuesday. The detective did not ask Aaron about this discrepancy. Instead, he asked what happened after the appointment. Aaron said Katie did more research and told him about it after he got home from work. Aaron read through her research for maybe an hour until he couldn't take it any longer and then went to bed. On Wednesday, Aaron said Katie didn't read anything. Instead, he claims that she went to his job site at least four times because she didn't want to be in the house alone. She didn't think it was safe. She thought the house and the home phone linked her to these conspiracies. So apparently she was afraid of being at the house because the home phone linked her to some conspiracy, yet she used it to call her mom while Aaron was in the shower. Aaron told the detective that every time Katie visited him at work, she said someone was after her and that she had a gut feeling someone was going to kill her that night. The detective asked who was after her and Aaron said she didn't really know. Maybe Satan. Interesting, since earlier in the interview, Aaron seemed to insinuate that Katie thought the government was after her. Now it was either he didn't know or it was Satan. And I haven't Googled this yet, but I don't think there are any documented incidents where Satan tapped anyone's phone. We've moved from 9-11 conspiracies to religious conspiracies, and somehow the detective didn't ask any clarifying questions. The detective asked Aaron if Katie mentioned religion at any other time. Aaron said that Katie told him God was telling her to flee and protect the kids and herself. This is certainly new information, but we aren't about to get any kind of elaboration on it because the detective then redirected the conversation back to the job site and all of Katie's visits. Aaron explained that every time Katie showed up, she would beg him to leave work. He told her he couldn't just up and leave, adding his job was on the line and he had responsibilities, the job given to him by Katie's father. After explaining that to Katie, Aaron said he would calm her down and she would leave, but then she would come back later. At around 5 p.m., Aaron says Katie showed up for the last time. He claimed she was frantic about leaving, adding that he barely got her to wait until he was done with the project at around 6 p.m. When the job was done, Aaron let his employee drive Aaron's work truck back to Katie's parents' house where the employee's vehicle was parked. Aaron then rode in the car with Katie to her parents' house so he could be with her. There is the tiniest inconsistency here, but I feel like it should be mentioned. Saying he rode in the car with her sounds a lot like he's not the one driving. But in his original statement to police, Aaron said he drove Katie's truck because Katie was frightened. Aaron said that during the whole ride, Katie was talking about how she didn't want to go back home. She was shaking and scared and was really, really paranoid. The detective then asked what Katie was talking about in regards to her paranoia, and Aaron said that she was putting together random events as if they were all part of a big puzzle. 
When asked for details on what those events were, Aaron didn't really have an answer. He eventually said that he couldn't remember if the incident he was about to talk about happened on Wednesday or earlier in the week, but that someone from Hillary Clinton's campaign called the House phone and asked Katie if she was voting for Hillary. She told them yes, even though she apparently didn't like Hillary because she was scared. According to Aaron, that was proof that someone was surveilling her. He said Katie would take something like that and run with it. The detective had Aaron continue on with his story starting from when they left the job site at around 6 p.m., which is fascinating to me because Katie's death had been attributed to suicide and she and her babies had already been laid to rest. Nonetheless, the interview continued and this time Aaron added a whole ass chapter. In brand new information, he said they stopped and grabbed some food before going to Katie's parents' house. He said Katie couldn't eat because she was so upset, but Aaron needed to eat, so they stopped anyway. He ate the food on the way to her parents' house. In case we're keeping track, because we definitely are, Aaron's hunger and hygiene schedules were not to be inconvenienced by Katie's purported paranoia. After Aaron and Katie got to her parents' house, they got into their own separate vehicles and drove home. Once home, they got to the front door, but that's about as far as they got. Because according to Aaron, Katie didn't want to be there. She said it was dangerous. Aaron tried to talk some sense into her, but says it didn't work. Katie thought Aaron was trying to keep her at the house. So he told her, let me hear you out. Let's sit down and talk about this. He says she didn't want to sit down. So they talked for an hour in the doorway while baby River played on the floor which blows my mind because I can't imagine any nine-month-old sitting on the floor and not crawling all over the place for an entire hour. But let's get back on track. Aaron claimed he had no idea what Katie was talking about and had a hard time understanding her, adding she was shaking and scared. As they stood in the doorway, he says that Katie got more and more paranoid about Aaron and completely stopped trusting him. Aaron told her, okay, I'm going to take a shower, pay my employee, then we'll do whatever you want to do. That allegedly calmed Katie down to the point where she agreed to let him take a shower. She then put River in her crib and said she was going to make a bottle and grab the diaper bag. Aaron said that was the last thing she said to him. He then added that she also promised to wait for him while he took a shower. Aaron was halfway through a shower when he says he heard what he thought was Katie's truck starting, but he couldn't be sure. Sounds like something you might check on, but he finished his shower, got out, and went into the bedroom, where he then looked out the window and noticed her truck was gone. Aaron then got dressed and went out to look for Katie at hotels in Monk's Corner. It's at this point in the interview that he tells the detective he knew she had several hundred dollars in cash, so he thought she could definitely afford a hotel. The detective asked where the money came from, and Aaron answered that earlier in the week, she had stopped at the bank and pulled out $500 in cash. They operated on a cash budget, so at least once every two weeks, she'd pull out cash to pay the bills. Aaron said she had a good bit of that money left in her purse, or so I would assume. He thought she would use that cash instead of her debit card to be untraceable, so the people who were following her couldn't find her. 
I'm a little curious as to whether this is the same cash that was in the envelope that he mentioned to Detective Mosier in his first statement. Because if so, this version of events is different than the first. He initially said he didn't even look for it until he had searched for her, gone to her parents' house, come back home, gotten some sleep, and woken back up. But now he seemed to be using the cash as the reason he searched hotels in the first place. The detective asked Aaron if he used his debit card to make any purchases, like gas, while he was out searching for Katie. Aaron couldn't remember, but said it was possible that he filled up his truck. Seems easy enough to prove through bank records or gas station security cameras. It also seems like something you'd remember, having to stop and fill up your tank in the middle of searching for your missing pregnant wife and baby. Moving along with Aaron's version of events, he stated that he left the house between 8 and 9 p.m. and looked around Monk's Corner for Katie, but it was like finding a needle in a haystack. After a while, he figured Katie would be back at the house, so he went there. The reason he thought she'd be back was because, according to him, any time they'd fought in the past, she'd be gone for 30 minutes tops before coming back home. When asked about the catalyst of their arguments, Aaron said he couldn't remember. He said maybe it was that time of the month or maybe she just needed to cool off. When asked if the fights ever got physical, Aaron said no. All of this is fascinating information, but I'm not sure how his explanation of why he figured she'd be home is applicable to this situation. He said there'd been no argument that night and that this all started because she was paranoid about the government and or Satan. The detective directed Aaron back to the story, summarizing that he'd been driving around Monk's Corner. Aaron said that after searching for some time, he pulled into the parking lot of a shopping center where he sat there for a minute thinking about what to do next. Ultimately, he went back home, arriving between 9 and 10 p.m. Aaron finished up his payroll, then started trying to figure out what Katie had been researching. He did that for several hours, as if reading up on 9-11 conspiracies or Satan would have somehow given him an idea of where she might be. I don't know, I can't make sense of that, but let's move on. Because Katie still hadn't come back, which was totally unlike her, Aaron drove around again. This time, he says he went in a circle around the Monk's Corner area. He mentioned making a swoop through Somerville, which is a 30-minute drive away. Aaron said that sometimes while out looking, he would call the home phone and Katie's cell phone, even though he knew it was broken, just to see if she would answer. After about an hour and a half to two hours of searching, Aaron went back home once again, thinking Katie would be there, but she wasn't. He believes he got home on either side of midnight and he waited for a little less than two hours before he went to Katie's parents' house. While speaking to Katie's parents, Aaron says he told them about the conspiracies Katie had been researching. Despite her behavior, they all figured Katie would return home, so Aaron went back and waited for her. Remember, this is Aaron's version of events. He says he fell asleep at around 4.45 a.m. and woke up about an hour later. Katie still wasn't there, so Aaron got super worried. It wasn't long before Katie's father called to see if Aaron wanted to go look at hotels with Vicky. Aaron said yes, then went to get money from two cash envelopes they kept their savings in, telling the detective he wanted the cash for lunch or whatever. 
That's when Aaron realized all the money, $500 to $600, was gone. It's hard to tell if the several hundred dollars of cash he knew she had on her is different from the cash in the envelopes because no clarifying questions were asked. Aaron told the detective he was more worried than ever when he found out the money was gone. He drove over to her parents' house and dropped off the truck for his employee, then he and Vicky went out searching. He told the detective they eventually split up. Aaron decided to go to Columbia, South Carolina, because he and Katie were actually supposed to take a trip to the Highlands in North Carolina. They were supposed to leave the morning her body was found. Columbia is the halfway point between Monk's Corner and the Highlands, so I guess that's one reason Aaron could have wanted to check Columbia. But in the statement Mosier wrote for him, he said he wanted to check Columbia because she felt safe there, a place Katie's mother said she had never been. Aaron continued with his interview, adding yet another chapter to his story. This time, he says he went back home before he and Vicky split up, saying he wanted to figure out which hotel Katie was planning on going to, but once again, it felt like finding a needle in a haystack. I can't make sense of the timeline where he says he went home before he and Vicky split up, but I'm gonna speculate he meant that he went home after splitting up and before going out on his own. He says he called numerous hotels in the Highlands to see if she had checked in, but the plan wasn't working out, so Aaron started driving towards Columbia, adding that he looked at gas stations along the way. He looked at gas stations along the way, but couldn't remember if he had gotten gas while searching for her the night before. Got it. Aaron then explained that while he was driving through Somerville, he heard on 94.3 Talk Radio that a person and a young child had been hit by a train in Berkeley County. Aaron was worried, so he called Vicky and told her the news. Aaron said he kept driving towards Columbia, trying not to think the report had been about Katie. But then Vicky called back, saying she'd found Katie's truck near the tracks. Aaron turned around and says he headed for Vicky and Jeff's house, where he later met with detectives for the first time. The next question from the detective was interesting. He asked Aaron if Katie had called anyone on his phone between 6 p.m. until she left the evening she disappeared. Aaron said not that he was aware of. The detective then asked if during their separate rides back to the house, if he was the one who had his phone or if Katie had it. Aaron's answer was a bit confusing. He said that Katie had his phone at one point. He was trying to remember when because she had never been paranoid before, but had started getting paranoid about him, saying she was afraid he'd call Vicky and that Vicky was going to take River away because she was involved in the big conspiracy. The detective asked when that happened, and Aaron said he thought it started at the apartment complex before they left the job site. Aaron said that while they were there, he let Katie look through his phone to confirm he hadn't called Vicky. Then Aaron said that he also gave Katie his phone to look through while he was in the shower. However, she didn't take it with her when she left, which again is completely new information. And if Katie was so paranoid about him calling her mom and had access to his cell phone nonetheless, why did she call her mom from the house phone while he was in the shower? Of course, none of that was asked in the interview. The detective eventually asked Aaron if anyone had told him what happened to Katie. Aaron said he'd heard stuff from various family members. Basically, all he knew was that Katie parked her truck in Oakley, that she'd been hit by the train, and that River was drowned and had no marks on her. 
The detective then asked Aaron about Katie's wedding bands. Aaron said he knew they'd been found in her pocket and added that finding the rings in Katie's pockets told him that Katie had taken her own life. But what? Aaron said that on more than one occasion, Katie had gotten upset with him, taken off her rings, and thrown them at him. Then Katie would lock herself in the bathroom with a bottle of pills and act like she was going to take her life. These incidents were proof enough to him that Katie's rings being in her pocket at her time of death meant she had taken her own life. But Aaron said they hadn't gotten into any kind of argument that night. He also stated that the arguments they did have were normal. Throwing your rings, then going into the bathroom and contemplating suicide doesn't exactly fall under the scope of normal. It certainly seems like something you might bring up to the detective when your wife's manner of death is listed as suicide. After this, the detective asked Aaron if there was anything else he could think of from the night of the death that could help. There was a long pause, then Aaron asked if it was possible Katie had been sucked into the train. Aaron went on to say that he didn't understand why Katie would take the savings, the diaper bag, and the bottle for River. That showed she was in survival mode, not suicidal. Aaron said he didn't understand how five to ten minutes later, she was parking her truck at the tracks and feeling suicidal. All very valid points. The detective took their conversation in another direction and asked if Katie and River had coats when they left. Aaron said Katie was wearing one all day, he wasn't sure about River, that she didn't have one on while she was playing in the house. The detective asked Aaron if he thought Katie took her own life. Aaron said yes, because of the postpartum psychosis. He had since learned that postpartum psychosis can be quick, and that's what happened to Katie. She was stable until Tuesday. The detective eventually asked Aaron what he thought happened to Katie, which is still so bizarre considering her death had been attributed to suicide. Aaron said he didn't know, that's why he asked if it was possible for the train to suck her in. Aaron then suggested maybe Katie left the house because she was paranoid that Aaron was against her. Maybe she thought Aaron would go out and try to find her. So Katie went to the tracks, parked the truck, got out, and started walking down the tracks to leave behind any way for people to track her. Like her phone, truck, and house, even though we know her phone was broken. But if Katie had been so paranoid about him calling Vicky, why would she have been trying to get to her parents' house without taking her vehicle there? Aaron continued on with the theories. He thought it was possible she was hit by the train on accident, a contradiction to his earlier statement where he told the detective that Katie's rings being in her pocket told him she had taken her own life. The detective asked Aaron if he thought someone was truly after Katie, and he said no, it was all in her head. Then he said it was hard for him to imagine Katie taking her own life by train, saying, that's a hard way to do it. He brought up how it probably took her 15 to 20 minutes to walk down to the tracks, then she had to watch as the train's light approached until it reached her. That's a lot to go through just to take your own life. But let's remember here that Katie didn't jump in front of this train. They believe she was hit with something on the side of it. 
Aaron stated that the day after Katie was found, he went to the tracks at around 8.30 p.m. at night just to process what was going on. He walked about halfway down but couldn't handle it because it was too eerie. The detective then finally asked Aaron some questions that gave the vibe that maybe he didn't totally believe Katie's death was a suicide. He asked Aaron, did you have anything to do with your wife's death? Aaron said no. The detective asked, did you have anything to do with your child's death? Aaron said no. The detective asked, if you knew what happened, would you tell us? And Aaron said, mm-hmm. He paused, then added, I want to know what happened. He mentioned that Katie's eyes aren't great, so she can't really see at night, and he noticed she'd left her glasses in the kitchen when she left. Aaron suggested that maybe Katie was trying to cross the bridge at the same time as the train, and that's when the train sideswiped her. A strange theory considering her truck wasn't parked at the bridge, and her body wasn't found near it either. She was found more than half a mile down the tracks, surrounded by woods on either side. The pond River was found in was through a tree line on the other side of it. Aaron then told the detective that he wanted to know if Katie got hit by the train on purpose. He also wants to know if she put River in the water or if the train pushed her in. The detective responded, We'll talk about all that and any questions you have. Hopefully I can answer them. Then he added, There's a few questions to be answered. There's no doubt about that. We have some of the same questions you have, but we're working on those. The detective had one more question for Aaron. He asked, If we find out that someone killed Katie and River, what do you think should happen to them? Aaron took a long pause, then answered, I believe in the death penalty myself, but they don't seem to do that anymore. He chuckled, then the detective said, If something happened, you'd want to see them put to death? Aaron replied, Mm-hmm. There was another long pause before he said, Wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. At the end of the interview, the detective told Aaron, how about, let's go get something to drink, I need a coffee. I'll see if I can answer any of these questions for you. Both men then walked out of the room together. Shortly after that interview, Aaron hired a lawyer and as far as I can find, hasn't spoken with investigators again. He later moved in with his parents in Charleston and started his own house painting business. On February 1st, less than a week after the interview with Aaron, the sheriff's department called Vicky into the station and told her they were closing the case. But it wasn't going to stay closed forever. I planned on this being a two-part series, but the more I looked into the case, the more I knew I had to tell the entire story. Next week, you'll be hearing part three, the final episode of Katie's three-part series, and it involves a search history, a video left on Katie's grave, and a new sheriff in town. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Katie's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me on TikTok tonight at the Heather Ashley at 8.30 p.m. Eastern where we go live and talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. And if you have a case you would like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you part three next week and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. 